Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. So we're in, um, the book is online on calvarydivine.org, uh, and it's called uh, Under Under His Influence, uh, The Yielding to the Work of the Holy Spirit. And it's written by Lloyd Pulley, a uh, pastor out of uh, Calvary Chapel, Old Bridge. Um, and uh, we're in chapter four of the book, chapter four of the book. And so last week we spoke about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the sanctifi- sanctification of the Holy Spirit in us, and the transformation. And one of the things we asked right off the bat is if we were to put your Christianity on trial today, would you be found guilty of being a Christian? Um, and, and, you know, we spoke about that, you know, is none of us were called to be secret agent Christians. You're not Jason Bourne of Christianity. Um, so, like, people should know that you're a follower of Christ. Um, and, and I love the verse that he gave as he was going through Ephesians, just as the youth will be going through Ephesians. Uh, he talked about in Ephesians 5, verse 18, a verse we're all very familiar with. Uh, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the spirit be continually filled and one of the things we had spoke about last week is the word that they use for debauchery is wasteful living wasteful living you know what are we spending our time on what are we actually uh yielding our time to and and allowing to be filled with and and uh, it's like i told y'all you know you can sit and argue i'll hear christians argue this verse well can i have a drink am i allowed that's not what the verse is about it's an example that Paul is using to remind you that, look, those things, the wine, whether it's wine, you can, marijuana, it can be whatever. If it's, if it's actually pulling you away from God and you're filling yourself up with that, one of the things wine does is that you, we talked about it, you know, I, I never drunk. I didn't drink because my father was an alcoholic uh, until I was, when did dad stop drinking when i was 19 18 or 19 and then my two brothers were alcoholics at 14 years old because we had a hippie mom that thought hey let's keep them at home they can drink at the house well they got hooked to it and before you knew it they were taking bottles of jack daniels to high school they were drinking in between classes and i just never I knew, I was like, we're petites. If we drank, we're done. (laughs) So I stayed away from it. But at the end of the day, what people will argue about is, can I have a beer or can I have a glass of wine? That's not what this is about. It's talking about wasteful living. It's talking about when you make bad decisions. A bad decision like my father made, 
handing the keys to a 12-year-old to drive across the city to get him home because he was drunk. Bad decision. The alcohol inhibited that decision. Instead of being filled with the things of God, which my dad didn't know the Lord at the time, he was filled with the spirits, with the wine. Same reason you that we would talk about those beer goggles. The woman that you see at 7 o'clock at night, by 11 o'clock, she's beautiful. Because you're drunk. And you're inhibited by the wine. And so Paul is talking about you are to be filled continually with the Spirit. And not wasteful living. Um, and, and we see a lot of wasteful living in, in our culture today. Uh, a lot of people are filled with a lot of things but not the Spirit of God. And, and so that's, that's what he's getting at. Now, the, the way that he talks about being filled, he gives you three more examples as we continue on in verse 18 of Ephesians chapter 5. He says, Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all the things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ submitting to one another in the fear of God. So three things he's telling you. Your speech. Right? Your speech. And then he hits. Uh, are, 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 we thanks, are we thankful for the things that God is doing in our life? Or are we grumbling? Right? Because it's so easy to grumble. And, so, uh, and then our relationship as we submit to each other. And, and so we'll talk about each one of those. Now, um, as we talk about speech, I believe this is probably one of the easiest ways we talked about which, which um, you know, as Billy Graham would say, which dog are you feeding, the spirit or the flesh? <laughs> your, your speech will be the, the first indicator if you're in the flesh. The way that you address somebody, the way you start yelling at somebody. Maybe you start saying things of the old way. Um, you know, I, I, I think Teresa had sent me something this week and I had talked about, uh, it was from Corey Tim Boom, and it talked about sin and, and how it's cast from as far as from the east to the west to the deepest parts of the ocean. But why are you fishing? You're trying to bring the old creation back. And we can do that so quickly with speech. And, and we have to be very careful with that. So what comes out of the, our mouths is a reflection of what's in our hearts. What comes out of our mouth is a reflection of what's in our hearts. And it's a good way to tell whether you're yielding to the Holy Spirit just by your conversations. You know. Again, these are things like we talked about. You may be able to do this for the hour you're at church. You can, you can be just as loving as you can be, but it's what happens when you get home. That's the real you. And that's why I always tell people, I try to be the same as I'm here as you come to my house, I'm the same way. And I make mistakes here, and I make mistakes in my house. <laughs> but I want to I make sure that my speech is loving. And if it's not, you can tell me, hey, Mike, that's not, you, you can call me out. I expect you to. 
If I say something, I, I, I remember one of our pastors, he would, uh, very loving guy, but he always joked around. Always. And eventually he said something that hurt somebody through the joke. And the person spoke to him and said, you know what, I think it was funny to everybody, but it, it was personal to me. And then he realized through that, because this is what I love about the Lord. You don't stop growing just because you've got a title. Um, God showed him, you've been doing this for years. And needs to stop. And he goes, I would always just try to be quick-witted. And, and, it, and it, it just was one of those things. So, you know, again, if we're, our speech is, is graceful, it, it, we should be giving praise and encouragement. We should be actually building life up and edifying life, encouraging uh, and be uplifting, not tearing it down. A lot of times what we do is we, we have these little off-the-cuff remarks or we may complain about something and God knows what's going on in your heart. But eventually it starts pouring out of your mouth. I think one of the verses I, I, I love is... is um, I'm going to have to pull it up here. I thought I had it in here. But let me pull it up. We're going to read it. Go to James chapter, I believe it's in James 3 or 4. And I'll... Huh. I thought I had it in here. I've been prepping for youth retreat, trying to help them with sound and moving stuff around. I So I've been bouncing between different mini Mac to this to the, and, and this, I'm all over the place James chapter 3 yeah, and, all. and it says for many things we offend this is verse 2 if any man offend not in a word and the same as a let me change the version here I'm reading y'all the King James it's going to get real funny in a little bit as I try to do it All right, verse 2, James chapter 3. For, for we all stumble in many things. If, any, if anyone does not stumble in his words, he is a perfect man, and able uh, also to bridle the whole body. Indeed, we put bits in the horse's mouth but they may, uh, that they may obey us, and, and we turn their whole body. Look at the ships. Although they are so large, and driven by fierce winds, they are, uh, they are turned by very small rudder, wherever the pilot desires. Even so, the tongue is a little member and boasts great things. See how the great, great a forest a little fire kindles, and the tongue is a fire of uh, a world of iniquity. The tongue is so set among members that it defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of nature, and it's set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast, bird, of reptile, creature of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by mankind. 
but no, uh, no, one, no man can tame the tongue. It is unruly, evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our God and Father, and with it we curse men who have uh, been made in the uh, similitude of, of God. Out of the same mouth uh, proceed blessings and curse, cursings. And my brethren, these things ought to be so. Uh, does a spring send forth fresh water? And bitter from the same opening, can a fig tree, my brethren, bear olives, or grapevines bear figs? Thus no spring yields both salt and fresh water. And that goes on in verse 13. It says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show, uh, show by good conduct that his works are being done in meekness and wisdom. And it goes on to, to list things that we're supposed to be doing and things that are, are what they consider demonic. In verse 14 it says, But if you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your heart, do not boast and lie against the truth. The wisdom does not descend from above, but it's earthly, sensual, demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. But with the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, willing to yield for my, uh, my uh, full of mercy and good fruits without partiality, without hypocrisy. Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in the peace by those who make peace. And I heard one pastor say every morning he gets up and he asks the Lord to help bridle his tongue before he even gets out of bed. And that's the first thing he asks for. Because he knows he's going to say something that's not supposed to come out of his mouth during the day. It's like, Lord, bridle my tongue. And so you have to ask yourself, are you somebody who's building others up? Or are you tearing them down? The other thing that, that Lloyd talked about was lying. Stretching the truth. Big problem. And that's done with the tongue as well. And unfortunately, a lot of people will live a deceitful lifestyle. You know, they'll, they'll boast on stories. I mean, think about it. I, I forget what pastor it was that decided, I need to make sure my book sales hit the New York Times bestseller. So he lied about the sales of the book. Just so he would look good. When we exaggerate a story or we start extending the story, you're lying. And you're in disobedience of God. And that's, that's from our speech. See, when we're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the temptation will be there, but you'll stop. Because you have an answer for the day when sin comes knocking at your door. You have to have that. You have to be ready for that. We have to avoid allowing, like, we're. You don't have to be. Paint this beautiful picture when it was not that. How many times you go fishing and the guys will. The fish over time will get from like this to. Remember that fish I caught and it was like, Dad, the fish was like this big. It was not that big. Yeah. 
And it's like, but over time, you paint a, a, a story. Uh, you want to hear stories like that? Go sit in that BFW bar. You'll have vets that will paint these elaborate stories in their lives. See, we, we are to be powered by the Holy Spirit, so our words we need to understand are power, should have power behind them. To build people up, or we tear them down, or they go, you know what, that person lied to me and they're a Christian. Your words can actually inflict pain. Or they can renew hope. They can do either or. That's where that bridal, unbridled tongue that sets fire to the force, or the bridal tongue that's, that's controlled by the Holy Spirit. The story that he gave, how many of y'all read the story about the little birds? I'm going to read the story to you. I can see already there's some that didn't. So I'm going to read the story. I want you to listen to the story, and then I'm going to give you some points that you need to catch from it. It's going to seem real silly, but it's, it has, the illustration is really good. It says, There was a little bird that had gotten a late start on flying south for the winter, and it got so cold that he froze up and fell to the ground. While he was laying there shivering to death, in a cold pasture, a cow happened, to, happened by, and suddenly the little bird was covered in cow manure. So he started to thaw out a bit. And as he began to warm up and started chirping, a nearby cat happened to hear the bird's song, and he set out to investigate. When he found the bird, he dug him up out of the manure and ate him. So, the moral of the story, right? And there's one here, and that's what Lloyd says. He goes, I promise there's one here. He said, first, not everyone who drops, in, uh, drops manure on you is your enemy. So you need to learn to discern between detractors and those who want the best for you. And I think we kind of went over this last, I think last week or the week before. It's like you need to, you, you want to sow into people that are, that are growing, that you can disciple. If there's no change and they want to stay in the old life, you need to move on to that next person. I'm sorry. I mean, I know that's, but you have a limited time here on earth, and discipleship is such an important part. Very important that you understand this. Discipleship is this. You either, this is how it happens. I'm being discipled still by my senior pastor, and I'm supposed to be discipling others. So you are to be discipled at the same time you're discipling others. You see how that works? Like it, it's like you should be growing and you should, when that young believer comes, you should look to sow into them. And, or find somebody in church that, you can, that has that like mind and, and y'all can grow together. It's, it's such an important thing. So learn to discern between the detractors and those who want the best for me. Second, not everyone who digs you out of the manure is your friend. <laughs> this is important. Listening to flattery will always lead to ruins. Sometimes people will flatter and flatter you and butter you up. And there is something that they have that they need or they're manipulating the situation. You got to be very careful with that. It's, a, it's, 
you got to be careful. You need to be, you, that discernment is very important. That's why be empowered, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will let you know. And all. This person's just taking advantage of me. And I need to, I need to, need to be praying about this and ask God to help me with this. It happens. Um, and the third, and this is the most important. When you're in the manure, keep your mouth shut. Foolishness is most often proven with the tongue. Right? In Proverbs 25, 11, it says, a word, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. And so an appropriate word is like an apple of gold in settings of silver, meaning the right word is a morally beautiful, suitable combination, precious, and, attra and, and it, it attracts metals. Like your words should be actually, should fit and spoken. Like you, you don't need to just be rambling on or speech. Encourage people. Build them up. Something that's really hard. Me and my dad talked about this today. When, when somebody is, when you have to share truth with somebody, nobody's going to take it well. Okay? When you have to correct a friend or you have to correct a family member or you have to, not everybody takes it well. You try to be as loving as you can, but you need to be truthful as you are, you know. And those conversations are not easy. But your speech needs to be loving and graceful. And if that person wants to get in the mud or in the manure, you let them do that. It's, it's not worth the time. You've shared what God has given you to share with them. And, you know, and especially in the day we live in today, everybody wants to argue. Right? About everything. You know, they just want to argue about the color blue. I mean, they just argue about everything. And we need to be careful that we don't get pulled into some of that stuff because it's easy for them to do that, especially right now. Uh, this weekend, as we were taking a break from the book of Mark, we're going to be talking about abortion this weekend. Biblical. Addressing it biblically. And sadly, there's like 30 pastors in Kansas that are, that are pushing to have a bill put down that would send the legislator of Kansas to be able to stop abortions. And these pastors are saying no. And they're actually using scripture. And we're going to go over those two scriptures that are commonly used but are out of context. And, and, and somebody needs to actually go and say, hey, brother, I love you, but you're wrong. You're wrong. God doesn't contradict himself in the Bible. He talks about the womb. He talks about, and it doesn't do that. But you know how hard it is for a pastor to go up and tell another pastor, Hey, I don't agree with what you're doing here. I think it's wrong. Do you think that other pastor is going to receive it? Well, not probably 99 times. They're going to be a little hurt. Whether the conversation continues, who knows? <laughs> but you have to you have to open your mouth, and and it's it's okay. Use words to build up and encourage, and and allow your mouth to be filled with grace, and salt. Remember, salt draws, it draws people in. It has flavor, right? Don't allow your salt to lose its flavor. 
because then they, they just don't listen. And the salt is no good for anything at that point. All right, the next thing he talks about is our attitude, giving thanks. Uh, and he talks about it in Ephesians chapter 20. He says, giving thanks always for everything to God, the Father, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So the right attitude. So we need to have a thankful heart. So why is thankfulness so important? Because God, it, it's, we're trusting God's plan for our life. When you're grumbling and you're complaining, you don't trust who God is. And can I tell you, when one person starts grumbling, oh, it's easy for other. How many of y'all been in a small group or a study and somebody starts complaining about this and then next thing you know, that person joins in and the other person on the other end joins in and that's what happens. It's, uh, grumbling is like a pandemic. You get one person doing it, and next thing you know, everybody's caught the, the grumbling disease. And they all start doing it. We've got to be careful with that because what we do is when we start complaining, we're not happy with our circumstances that God has placed us in. And we're being disobedient to the Word of God because we're not showing trust in God. Like there's an unwillingness to, to yield control of our lives fully to Him because we don't trust that. Because I think I know better. Right? So grumbling and complaining should have no place in the life of a believer. Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 15 says, Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Why do we, are we supposed to be not grumbling? Because when you're grumbling, you look just like the world. You don't, there's no difference. Can't tell the difference between you and the unsaved person. So we have to be very careful with that. And that's why he uses that word crooked and perverse. Or twisted generation, right? But see, God's word, there's a standard there. As Christians, we are to be the light. And, and when we're grumbling, what we're doing is we're fading the light out. Exodus 16, verses 7 and 8 says, And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening the meat to eat and the morning bread to, uh, to the full, because the Lord had heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, so when you grumble about the church, it's not me. <laughs> it's his church. Grumbling against God. Against the Lord. And I love 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 9. It's so, uh, th this is such a great contrast. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. You ever had somebody show up at your house like at 10 o'clock at night? They just show up out of the blue and you're like, you're just fixing to go to bed. Oh man, I was on this side of town. I just wanted to see you. Are you going to 
let me get you some let's get some coffee or let's let's talk and stuff and you're complaining you're knocking cups around and you're upset where's your hospitality at right you're just grumbling like you have no clue that that person may be there because they need you to pray with them you have no clue that that person needs some encouragement or maybe they're going to encourage you we have a couple that would do that uh, Vic and Oyuki they show up but they're man they're so encouraging and we're you know we open our doors but they bless us because that's how they their speech is they're always uplifting always encouraging and so we need to be careful not to be grumbling uh, one of the things that Lloyd talks about real quick he says we measure the level of thankfulness in our own lives by considering the following Am I quicker to blame God for my problems than I am thankful, uh, than I am to, to thank Him for His faithfulness? Do I lash out at those around me when things are not going my way? Right? Man, that's an easy one to do. You know, you have it in your head, the thing that you want to do, and it just doesn't work out the way you think, and you start getting upset at everybody. And it's like things don't always go the way we we plan them and all do i i do I come in do I come down heavy on others for their mistakes, and am I gracious and understanding when others fall short of my expectations? So you get upset with other people, but you want that grace and that mercy on your side. It's almost like the the um, the man that was forgiven. That I think it was millions in the when it's added up and when you do the translation, it's like millions. He's forgiven millions, and then he goes to his servant and he wants his money back and paid back, and then and you don't pay it back and you're going to jail, and he puts him in jail. And yet he was forgiven. And it's like that's how we get sometimes. It's like we come down heavy on people for their mistakes, but we want grace. I'm sorry. I knew this was, this was not an easy one. This <laughs> was not an easy chapter. Um, this is probably one of the hardest chapters in this book. Do I ever punch the wall, slam the phone, kick the dog when I'm having a bad day? Am I still throwing things across the room? It happens. But you know God can forgive you. That there's enough grace for the journey. We're not perfect beings. Maybe you went fishing for some of the old stuff. And it snuck back into your life. But you just ask God to, to help remove that stuff. There's grace for the journey. Remember, you're, you're, it is the pursuit of holiness, the pursuit of righteousness, and your feet are made of clay just like mine are. And praise God, there'll be somebody one day when you've been punching the wall or you've been upset that will show grace to you 
and reminds you of the love of Christ. And you can go, man, you know what? I need forgiveness. I need to repent. And God exposes it. And what are you going to do with it? Romans chapter 1 verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and foolish hearts were darkened. We need to honor God by living for God. The last one is our relationship. Submitting to one another in the fear of God. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And the greatest proof of whether you're yielding to the Holy Spirit is, is in, our, in, in our relationships. Are we selfish? Are we narcissistic? You know, uh, I love the next verse down because this is the verse everybody, the one everybody remembers, submitting to one another in fear of God. But in verse 21 is the, the verse that every husband remembers. Um, let me pull that up because this is one that it always trips me out when I read this one because I, I, I have done counseling with husbands before. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's the one they remember. But do you get verse 21? Submitting to one another in the fear of God. You submit to one another. I submit to my wife. And she submits to me. And we submit to Christ. And, but men love to throw that one out there. <laughs> right? And I, I, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is Abraham and Lot. Because you see the parallel of flesh and spirit, really. And, and you know, they're... God had blessed them. Both of them had plenty of uh, livestock and, and people working the livestock, but they started fighting with each other. You know, and Abraham j just tells them, you go left or you go right. If you go right, then I'll go left. Like, just submits to God. And it's like, whatever, whatever God wants to do, you do. You go left or right, I'm good. Submitting to one another. And that's how Abraham's life was with, with God. He, had, he was always dependent on God's hand. Now, you look at Abraham's life. He didn't live a perfect life. I mean, he lied every time he could about his wife being, you know, like, he was like, it's not my wife. <laughs> right? But he submitted and trusted God. He didn't argue with Lot. What was Lot and Abraham's men doing? Fighting. Arguing with each other. Abraham comes in. Holy Spirit. This is very important. The person that's yielded to the Holy Spirit will be the peacemaker. And that's what we're supposed to be. And God blessed Lot. It says, Abraham knew that his life was in God's hands. So when Lot chose the best portion of himself, Abraham submitted to that choice because he trusted God. He didn't argue with Lot. When Lot was gone, the Lord spoke to him once again and said, Lift your eyes now and look from, uh, from the place where you are, 
northward, southward, eastward, and westward for all the land which you see I give to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth so that if a man could uh, number the dust of, of the earth and your descendants also be numbered, arise, walk in the land through its length and its width for I give it to you. God blesses obedience every time. Every time, God blesses obedience. Even when you're in sin and you, you repent of your sin, God blesses that. And, and so for us, it's like we need to, to uh, you know, for me, one of the verses I always remembered uh, when I first came to Christ was 1 John 3, 16. By, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for, for the brothers. Meaning that, that you go left, I'll go right. Whatever God wants to do. It's one of the things I love about being a church here in town. I meet with those pastors and there's not a competition between any of us. Whoever comes to church, comes to church. We teach to the people that are in front of us. Nobody's trying to poach people from each other. We're just like, let's just reach the community. That's what we're called to do. So we, we what we want is to, to, to know that the power of God is, is working through your life. The thing that he did give was General William Booth from the Salvation Army. And he was asked, he said, what is the secret of your great success? And he answered, God has had all there was for me. There had been men with greater brains, greater opportunities than I. But from the day I had a vision of what God could do with poor old London, I made up my mind that God would have all there was of William Booth. And General Booth presented his body as a living sacrifice. As a result, God was able to do a great work in him. And do you have all there is of you? Does God have all there is of you? And, and, and what is the measure of your surrender? Like you could fill that sentence in. I made up my mind that God would have all there was of Teresa or Kathy or Michelle or Reuben or Heather. And then Chloe's hiding her face, and Selah's over there too, and Donna and Court. Everybody's here, and it's like at the end of the day, it's like, do we want to really present our bodies as a, a living sacrifice? Remember we talked about, like when you, you, you come to God, you come to the throne. That, there, that God is being worshipped at this moment. Holy, holy, holy. Like that's who you're praying to. And he just wants to be your father. Your Abba Father. That's all He wants. You're His children. And He wants what's best for His kids. And just like your kids, especially when they're one, two, three, once they start walking and getting into stuff, you have to correct them. And they're trying to learn to walk and they stumble. And you pick them up. 
He never stops loving you. Because you're His. And so for us, I, man, I, I asked you know myself this question this week: Does God have all there is of me? Is there anything else that the Lord needs that I need to surrender? Just like William Booth, do we have a vision for the community? Are we asking God for that vision for this community? You know, uh, God wants to use you. And I think the the key is, is at the end of the day, are you going to hear a well done, good and faithful servant? In Jude chapter uh, chapter 1, verse 24 and 25, it says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling, and to present you faultless before the presence of his holy glory with exceeding joy to our God, our Savior, who is alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now, forever. Amen. And I love that. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. And it may be different in your translation. He's God. And you're not. And that's the that's the hardest thing that most Christians struggle with. Are you going to trust Him to lead your life, to do His will, to have all of your heart? Remember, we talked about He takes residence in the heart. To just remove all the callousness and all the things. And and let me tell you, there'll be things that you anybody who's been walking with the Lord knows. You, you'll you'll be like something will come up, and you go, "Man, where was that at?" What part of the heart was that at? How did I get bitter about that? That was from my childhood. And it had been it been in my heart since I was a kid. Lord forgive me. We do that. It's like but God doesn't stop growing you. He doesn't want you to stop growing. All that stuff he's throwing out. Remember we talked about the garage. Everybody has a garage, but how much stuff is in it? Can you get to your garage? I guess is a big question. Right? Can you even get in your Can your car go in your garage? Because <laughs> that's what happens. We start filling it up. That's what we do with our hearts. Wasteful living. We put our, our, our hearts and minds on things that we shouldn't. And all. Great chapter, chapter 4. We're going to go ahead and answer some questions. We're going to turn this thing off. So um, Sunday, I hopefully I make it here from the youth retreat, and I'll be awake um, and, and, and alive. And so um, I'm looking forward to being out there. I know it's going to be such a blessing for them. Please keep them in prayer as they go out, that God would speak to each heart. I, I believe... I truly believe this. Those 89 kids could change this world. If you surrender it all. Just like, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And ask God for that vision. And God will give it to you.
Because Lord knows we need this generation to, to take that mantle and run, run and, and take that vision that God has for the next 10, 15, 20 years until he comes home to grab us. 30 years, 40 years, who knows, you know. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.